Welcome to Covenant Church's Sermon Podcast. We hope that the message you're about to hear is of great encouragement to you in your journey with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, Amen. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Uh, Four years ago next month was the first time I met Sarah. Uh, My wife and I started a small group. Uh, And Sarah, along with somebody whose wedding we were at last night, were some of the first members of that small group. Uh, And so when I saw that throughout the course of that small group, we were able to pray together, we cried a lot together, but I wasn't even on staff here. Sarah was not even on the worship team, and we got to pray as she moved through auditions, and then she moved through uh, being a backup singer, and then she uh, became like one of the lead singers. Uh, I got to, she got to pray for me as I moved through being on uh, staff here, applying for a job here, and ultimately, maybe even one day, being able to bring the word to you. So uh, for the fact that she was the one that opened us up, uh, was able to pray for me, sometimes God's good, sometimes he's really, really good. Uh, Praise God. I'm so grateful to be here this morning. It's just awesome to have her uh, be able to lead us this morning in that. So um, as I said, I, I am uh, really uh, glad to be here this morning, but it does come with some bitter sweetness. Um, I, I loved our, our uh, previous pastor, Bob Myers, dearly, and I always thought about this opportunity of being up here and, and being able to do it under his uh, headship, uh, him being able to coach me along. I love the staff that has really weighed in and helped me develop this sermon today. Um, but being able to uh, work with him, uh, or Bob Myers, and, and being able to, to learn under his preaching, that was something I was really excited to be able to do. So with him now being gone and me preaching in, in place of that, um, it brings some uh, sadness to my heart. But I do come to you hopeful this morning. Incredibly, incredibly hopeful. And it honestly has nothing to do with our teaching team. It really has nothing to do with the leadership left of the church. And, and, and really, it doesn't have much to do with the congregation that's left either. Those things are all encouraging. Incredibly encouraging. Uh, but I'm hopeful for one reason. Uh, Isaiah talks about this. When the year the King Uzziah died, the Lord was high and exalted seated on his throne. And I'll say to you, the only reason I'm hopeful is because I truly believe that the year a pandemic swept through the nation, the king is still seated on his throne. And the year, the year that our pastor stepped away from ministry, our king is still seated on his throne. Now, this new thing might be uncomfortable. It might not be the most uh, warm and fuzzy feeling moving forward, but make no mistake, the Lord is doing a new thing. And in his doing a new thing, he is still seated on his throne throughout all of that. And nobody's going to look back at the year 2020 and think like, oh, a few hiccups, but overall, just like any other year. I won't. I probably won't. I don't know if many people in our nation will. Definitely people of this church probably won't do that. No, it's a new thing. And when God does a new thing, it's not like an upgrade from an iPhone 6 to an 11 where they move the volume button or, or make the screen a little bit. It's a, it's a brand new phone. It's a whole new phone. It's not recognizable. This year wasn't a volume button change kind of year. It's a brand new thing. So I am hopeful, as difficult as it might be, I'm still hopeful that this new thing has the Lord seated high and exalted on his throne, and we'll be better for it. We'll be better for it. So uh, with newness comes grumbling all the time. Well, it doesn't matter whether you're upgrading from a minivan to a Corvette. Somebody's driving in that Corvette thinking the, the, there were more cup holders 
in the old minivan. I miss the cup holders, right? There's always something, no matter how good the new thing is, and that gets to the crux and the heart of what I want to preach on this morning and the passage I want to talk about it. Uh, it, it is God and, and it, uh, is doing a new thing among his people, and it's through the body of Jesus Christ, and he came to establish uh, something that was focused on grace, the giving and the outflow of things we rightfully did not deserve. Um, and, and without a doubt, there was grumbling associated with it. Here's the thing that was really shocking to me when I followed Jesus' ministry. The ones that grumbled were not the sinners. It wasn't the murderers, the adulterers, the, the people caught up in prostitution, the ones that have killed people, the thieves, the, the people that were just stealing money from their people. No, they actually fell at his feet and praised him for breaking him from his bondage. The people that were most upset and grumbled by the newness were us. More specifically, me. <laughs> people like me. The ones, the leaders of the faith. The ones that have, have taken this idea of like, I know and understand what God's doing. I understand this faith, this idea. Uh, and this is now uncomfortable to me. This is something new. And, and they were the ones that were most opposed uh, to Jesus' teaching. So uh, this sermon kind of came as I was uh, reading through the book of Matthew and, and, and stumbled upon a place where, where Jesus is talking to Pharisees and Sadducees. And whenever he says that, he's talking about the leaders, scribes, teachers, elders, priests. All those people are the leaders of the church because they were the ones that were confronting him and saying, what the heck are you doing? to this thing that I've established. And so when I see that, I have to ultimately look at myself right away, immediately, because uh, not many of you get the opportunity to have Jesus literally speak directly into your profession. I do. <laughs> I do. I, I, I get that opportunity. So when he does that, I'm going to listen to it. So um, this is what the Lord has kind of put on my heart. And ultimately, I want to accomplish two things with this message. And the first is that if you are uh, somebody who's who's been following Jesus for a long period of time. If you're somebody who considers yourself like, yeah, I've been growing up in the church, I've discipled people, I, I, uh, I walk alongside, if you're the leadership here, if, you're, if you lead small groups, um, I, my prayer is that this passage and my words kind of convict you in the same way it convicted me. Uh, because we're all in on that. The idea of leadership and those that are familiar with the church are really just those that have been a part of this thing for a long time. So I want to encourage you in that, in, in the same way that I was challenged and shaped as well. But second, if you are not one of those kinds of people, if this is still new for you and still trying to figure out what Jesus is, uh, let me encourage you to recall these passages and what I'm going to say when we screw it up. When I get off the stage, I'm going to screw it up. The, the person sitting next to you at some point probably will screw this up. Right, we, are, uh, we walk around and we are probably most known for things that we oppose, that we're against, that we hate, that we can't stand, who we vote for. Those things are billboards across our foreheads. We're very rarely known for our graciousness. And so those are some of the things that Jesus is really encouraging us. And when I get to my sermon, which I promise is coming at some point, uh, the, 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 those are the things I want us to examine when we look at this. Is what, what is Jesus trying to bring that's new, that's different, that's uncomfortable. Okay, so scripture time. Uh, Matthew 16, uh, I'm reading from uh, verses 5 to 12. You can look at it on the screen. You can bring it up on your phone. We're going to read this passage and, and then we'll get into it. Uh, starting in verse 5. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. <clears throat> Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
They discussed this among themselves and said, is it because we didn't bring any bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus said, you of little faith, why are you talking amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and the many baskets you gathered after that? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and the baskets full that you gathered then? How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? And the disciples understood. He was not telling them to guard against the yeast used for bread, but actually says, but against the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So uh, two things that I want to kind of blow up in this text that I think will kind of shine some light on what this warning actually was. And that is, uh, first, that um, what is leaven? Why did he use that word? At the very end, they said, oh, he's talking about the teaching. Why did he use leaven instead? So let's, or uh, yeast, uh, the word yeast, type of leaven. So why did they use that word yeast instead? And then the next one I want to say is, I just want to look at the Pharisees and Sadducees. Why were they so diametrically opposed to what Jesus was trying to do? Those are the two key pieces I want to focus in on uh, in order to be able to figure out what this warning is that Jesus has for the church. So pray with me. Father God, we, we love you. As difficult as some of these things might be, uh, Lord, I pray that we all receive them with open hearts, softened hearts, uh, remove the scales from our eyes, Lord, and let us see the truth and the love that you're trying to bring this morning. God, we love you for who you are. We praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to die for us, Lord, so that we may know you intimately and wholly. So God, we pray that uh, your name is exalted, your name is the one that's magnified, and ours is minimized in this place. God, we, we pray you go before us in this message, and you prepare the things that you have to do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so some like a thousand plus years before Jesus even walked the earth, there was a, uh, there, there was a, a moment when God was going to deliver his people out of Egypt. Egypt oppressed the Jewish people for many years, and, and God was going to do a new thing and was going to take them out of that oppression. And it came right after the Passover celebration, the 10th plague that, uh, that hit Egypt. And, and they had to leave so early in the morning, they weren't allowed to wait for yeast to, to leaven the bread, to make the bread rise. And God says, hey, before you can even... Uh, do that, before you can even wait for your bread to rise, take the unleavened bread and go, and we're, we're, we're getting out of Dodge, and we're going quickly in the morning. They wanted to commemorate this. The Jewish people wanted to commemorate this. God instructed Moses to say, hey, I want you to always remember what I did for you in Egypt. And in order to do that, I want you guys to have this festival called the Festival of Unleavened Bread, where you eat mostly unleavened bread. Keeping up. Okay, good. So, so you, you eat mostly unleavened bread throughout this entire festival. But now it was so important to keep this festival pure, and the bread that you ate was leaven, the, the, the bread that was eaten was leaven, that what they said on the front end was the leading up to this, uh, this festival, rid your house of leaven. Get it completely out of your home. It's not even allowed to be in your home while you're cooking that week. And the reason was not because people would be tempted to use leaven, and it wasn't because that, uh, the people might accidentally use it thinking it was flour or something like that. It was because yeast spores, yeast spores, type of leaven, can so easily migrate through an area that dough that was meant to, to set apart could naturally be leavened on its own. 
You didn't need to add anything to it. It can move through an area. So they requested to get everything out of the, of the home because something that was set apart to be pure, unleavened, and made clean could unintentionally get defiled. So something that is meant to be over here that you didn't even want to throw in it, but it just sat in your house by its natural properties could actually defile it. So he said, rid your house of it. Get your house of it. And Jesus says, beware of the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So who were these Pharisees? So Pharisees, we'll start with them. Um, They were a little bit more of an elitist club. Uh, A lot of different stuff written about them. uh, But uh, one of the key parts to them was that they held the oral law. So you had the Moses law that was uh, in the first five books of the the New Testament or the Old Testament. uh, And there was like 600 plus rules associated with those laws. Now they held an oral law which was not written down anywhere, and they were kind of the keepers of this. There was everyday happenings. Here's what you do. Here's where you go. Here's how you worship. Here's how you praise. Here's how you do. And they had that, and they had the lock on that. And so what their biggest kind of uh, issue was, was that instead of really coming alongside people, and, and Jesus talks a lot about this in Matthew 23. He writes out all these woes about the Pharisees. But instead of coming alongside people and nurturing a relationship and instructing them, the Pharisees often criticized and ostracized normal folk uh, because they held them to standards that they couldn't actually achieve. Now, the Sadducees were a little bit different. They were unified in their hatred for Jesus with the Pharisees. Uh, but, but ultimately, they, they warred with the Pharisees because they were more of a popularity crew. They had tie-ins with, uh, w- with a lot of the political leaders. Um, and they kind of also had some pretty high-standing places within the temple. So they liked to maintain their, uh, their elitist club, but it was mostly around the socially elevated the wealthy, the, the ones that kind of made it in society, and they liked to be popular in that way. So combined, both of these two, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to speak on behalf of them. Ultimately, a lot of it came from, from ignorance, negligence, but also what was, there's only, what was really what they were only used to and comfortable with. They always deferred back to whatever they were comfortable with. So this warning that uh, Jesus has for these people groups was not that they, uh, they hated or despised God or were trying to intentionally spit in God's face, but rather they put all of this stuff on top of the people. They brought a lot of their own stuff that prevented them from actually experiencing and seeing the true God. Okay, so they would have been going to church, they would have been talking about God, they would have been thinking they're pointing to God, but all their own stuff that they're bringing with that message actually oppressed and pushed down and minimized some of those people. So that is God's, or that is Jesus' warning to us. Um, It's getting in the way of experiencing God. So Jesus, he was somebody that through his grace alone, Uh, By faith alone, in Christ alone, he offers a different way to experience God. And that was the new things that the leaders could not comprehend. They were losing their sense of power, control, comfort, familiarity, because this new thing included included not only sinners, but also outsiders, whether they were Samaritans, Gentiles, Canaanites, all these people, women also as well included in this. A lot of the Pharisees were, we don't, we don't talk, we don't operate, we don't act with these individuals. So it wasn't just sinners uh, as well. It was also these people groups that we saw, they were just uncomfortable with them. 
didn't know what to do with them. And because they couldn't wrap their minds around this, they sought to destroy his ministry instead of uphold it. It was their only option left. We partner with a, uh, a group called Christian Legal Clinics. I'm the connections director here uh, and oversee a lot of outreach ministries. And, and Christian Legal Clinics is one of the ministries we partner with. And they are, um, they're a bunch of Jesus freaks uh, that, that absolutely, they try, their intent to bring Jesus to people is to help them through pro bono legal counsel. People that have been caught up in the city uh, with, uh, uh, in, in kind of lower, uh, impoverished uh, communities that have legal troubles, they come in, they help give them counsel, consulting, and then they, um, they also have a chaplain that sits in each of those meetings because they're pretty bent up most of the time, uh, and, and it gives them an opportunity to pray for us, uh, give them a word of, of love and encouragement uh, if we need to. It's a really awesome operation, organization. I was sitting in the orientation. And she was telling me about how the, the, the woman, Jamie Hatcher, uh, was telling me about the type of people that they help. And I raised my hand. I was like, so let's just say they're like uh, murderers. Like we're, we're actually going to bring them in and give them legal counsel. And he said, she says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like criminals too? Like we're going to bring them in and, and give them legal counsel? She goes, yeah, yeah, we, we bring them in. We, we, the law ultimately defines what we can and can't do, but we'll bring them in. We'll sit with them, chat with them, and and send them on their way and introduce them to Jesus. Still unwilling, in my mind, to accept this, and the Spirit hadn't really grabbed my heart on this yet, I approach her after the orientation. I was like, Jamie, these people are guilty. They're guilty, and you're still going to try to help them. And I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, she, she said it to me. She says, "Go, uh, Mr. Nick, why don't you tell me a crime that would deem somebody unworthy to hear the gospel of grace? No more questions, Your Honor. Like, I, I, I just kind of walked away at that point. I was like, what am I thinking? What, what type, of, uh, what type of, of, of platform am I bringing to this thing that I think that you, you need to know something? You need to have some type of requirement in order to hear about who Jesus was. Their mission was, to, to, they would, that would be the best way they could get the, the most least farthest people from God into their building with their legal work to experience Jesus, so that they could experience Jesus. And it's almost like I completely forgot that while we were yet sinners, Jesus came for us. As well. While we were yet sinners, not cleaned up yet, while we were yet sinners, Jesus came for us. So all the Pharisees ever understood were a list of laws. That was it. Rules that people had to follow. This is how we experience God. This is how we pray for God. This is how we offer a sacrifice. This is how we repent. This is how we worship. And they had all of these regulations to do that. Now you have an individual that comes down and says, yo, cool, really cool. Everything that you guys are doing, I'm actually the fulfillment of that. I'm the embodiment of that. You don't need to look to them anymore, but you look to me and I'm going to establish a new kingdom. And my new kingdom, I determine citizenship. Nobody else determines citizenship. Nobody else regulates who gets in or who gets out. But it's by my blood on the cross alone. I establish that. And the people see this, and they are totally confused by it. Nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing you can do to deserve it. And Jesus' kingdom is laid out, faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone. And it's all you need. I'm not saying that there isn't obedience that flows out of this relationship with God. But the requirements for this relationship is strictly to look to God, or look to Jesus. Well, how do we talk to him? Well, you just start off by saying, dear daddy, and then tell him whatever you want. 
Well, then how do we uh, ask for forgiveness? Start again, dear daddy, then ask for forgiveness. That word that Jesus uses uh, in, in the Lord's prayer is, is scandalous. You don't talk to God like that. That's not how you talk to him. But he's saying, you don't even need that. You just, okay, well, how do we praise him? Well, you just praise him. Just go ahead. No, you don't need to go to a building anymore. Just praise him. He lives in your heart. Just do it. And so now all that the, the Pharisees could have ever imagined was thrown away. Here's the struggle that the church has had in, in trying to communicate the message of Jesus Christ throughout the generations. It's always existed in a world where that concept of citizenship is completely foreign. It was always surrounded by rules. Nations, since the beginning of time, has always operated with rules and qualifications. Before I end up on Twitter, I am not an anarchist. Laws are important. Laws are important. I'm not, when they're fair, they are important. I'm not suggesting that. But it's all we've ever known, and it makes it incredibly difficult to separate a structure we are used to into the teaching of grace. We can't separate those things in our minds. It's very difficult. And it turns out that teaching easily becomes grace and. Grace and something else. Because that's all we're ever used to. That's what's knocking on our door throughout the generations, always. There's a story in Jamar Tisby's The Color of Compromise uh, where two individuals, uh, Absalom um, uh, Jones and Richard Allen, two black men go to worship in a white church in the late 1700s. Unfortunately, that white church was not happy about them uh, worshiping there. So two men came up, picked them up out of the, pointed to them in the pews and said, "Um, excuse me, you're supposed to be standing in the back or sitting up in the balcony. And Absalom actually was, he was uh, compliant and he said, my apologies, the, the preacher is in the middle of a prayer. Let, me, let him finish his prayer. I don't want to interrupt him. Guy says, no, 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 right now, these are the rules. You either stand in the back, or you sit up on the balcony. Absalom said again, prayer, sir. In the middle of the prayer, the preacher is praying. I don't want to interrupt them. Commotion gathers. They throw out Jones and Allen, and, they say, and, and Jones and Allen walk out of the church, and they end up starting the first black Methodist church right here in Philadelphia, right? So, so we see that, and we think, how can that be during prayer? How could we miss that during prayer? And we, we could easily say that was 300-ish years ago, but it was also 1,700 years into when the church started. So we think that right away. You could even just say our previous pastor wrote a, wrote a, uh, wrote a blog that went viral, and pastors reached out to him saying, how dare you write a message like that about racial injustice in his own little heart and his own issues how can those things happen? Guys, for this, this leaven has been on the shelf for 2,000 years. It's been sitting in our homes. Our nation was founded by pastors who fought and supported slavery laws that determined people as less than people, non-people, three-fifths of a people, pastors that started the church in America. Guys, we didn't kick leaven out of the house. We got in bed with it. We sprinkled it all over the kitchen. So, so it's no wonder that it is still in our churches today. It's no wonder that it is these types of laws still exist within our churches, and there are issues, and it's not, it's not as easy to recognize and to conform and to, and to do that once it's already infested the dough. It's already infested the dough. It's already in it. The Pharisees who questioned Jesus about who is my neighbor, neighbor couldn't even say the name of a Samaritan at the end of one of his parables. That's how disgusted they were with the people group. 
Almost 2,000 years after the establishment of the church, religious leaders are still imparting rules on people simply because of the way they looked. That might, be, that might not be your leaven, but for a good portion of my life, it was mine. It was our families. It was something we had to root out. And after 2,000 years, something as blatant and as obvious as, as that kind of a example is sitting on the shelf. Are we sure we've checked all the other shelves? That's it. It's just an example towards something else bigger. You could make it about race and just leave it there. You're missing the bigger picture. It was sitting on the shelf for 2,000 years. What else is on that shelf? What else is there that we bring to it? So where do we go from here? There was a, uh, a pastor, Pastor Carl Lentz, who was speaking about certain kinds of injustices in his own church. And this is what he said. He said, hey, if there isn't any, if there isn't any of these rules or laws or establishments set up, but I think there are, Here's my biggest fault. I will spend the rest of my ministry looking out for other people, making sure people get a shot over me, looking to see who isn't in the mix that should be in the mix, and making sure that there are no systems in place that value others over other people because of things that are outside of God. I would even add to it, ultimately we would spend time learning about people's experiences, hardships, trials, to make sure that there, are rules, uh, that there aren't rules to follow. That's it. But if it does exist and we ignore it, well, then we have willingly just let that leaven rush right back into the room. And it is capable of destroying the ability to present the message of grace. I say the message of grace. Nothing is, in, is capable of destroying grace. Nothing's capable of destroying it. Jesus will use his people how he sees. We want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of that as covenant church. So like I said, we could, we could see this as just uh, an issue of race, but it, it's super, out, it, 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 uh, it much outweighs all that. You can't see the leaven moving through the air or once it's gotten into the dough. You can only see its effects once the bread starts to rise. But there are stories about this everywhere. It can happen with race, academics, doctrines, social standing, wealth, political jockeying. All of those things have surrounded the church from the beginning of time. And Christ isn't the only one that determines your worth. Christ is the only one that determines your worth in that new kingdom. None of those other things. Last week in the midst of an intense, an intense game of uh, office basketball with Pete, the guy who did uh, the uh, hosting here, um, I was dominating him. Uh, I think, yeah, I got pig before he even got a letter. So uh, we, we were discussing... Where I, where I was going with this. And I ultimately said, hey, we're part of a community. I want to encourage the community to jump on board with this, to surround each other, and to encourage one another with this. And, and, and he brought up a really good point that the Spirit later convicted my own heart. Um, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's not talking to anybody else. This sermon isn't to weaponize. It's not to point at your teachers or your leaders. or your, my, my hope is that we all look at ourselves. But Jesus is telling his disciples, coming off of a place where he says, that, that section where he says, why are you worrying about bread? Three days ago, I fed over 9,000 people with a handful of loaves and some minnows. Why are you worrying about bread? And the disciples are like, what can I bring to this? What can I bring to this? You can't bring anything to this that I haven't already provided for you. You can't, you can't adjust or change any of this that I haven't already provided. 
So whether it's, uh, whether it's whatever it looks like in your own life that you need to work out, Jesus' warning to us ultimately is what are you adding to this? What are you adding to this thing? For me, easy, easy. Seminary corrupted me more than anything else in the world. Sorry, I am not want to offend anybody. I'm a seminary graduate, but it made me the most judgy person I could ever be. You talk to the person who led worship today in our small group and how I lorded that kind of knowledge and information over people until I got worked out. I had some people who loved Jesus that challenged me on it and just prayed for me. It was in a bad place with that. Race is another one. We talked about that already. For me, another one is if you like a team of another sports, it's just weird. But I, I automatically disqualify and discredit somebody. Uh, and I had to really work that one out. Uh, but no. Um, but no, what are, you, what are you bringing into this? What is it? What is it? Because the disciples weren't immune to this. The disciples weren't immune. Peter was in the boat with them, and Peter went off. And in Acts 10, we find out that Peter actually held them to the same exact standards. Had customs and, and, and uh, dietary things that he was holding his community to. And the Lord had to correct him in that as well. So if the disciples weren't immune to this, I promise you I'm not immune to this, and you are not immune to this, and our leadership is not immune to this. We're not that special. You may be going to church for a while. You may have gotten baptized in the church. You may have just thought like, hey, this is, uh, I know this thing. I got this on lock. We're the ones that are most at risk. We're the ones that are most at risk of missing what God is going to be doing through his doctrine of grace alone. We're going into a new season of the church in so many ways. And as we cross through the Red Sea, as we, as we go across the Sea of Galilee, as we kind of just go into this new journey, guys, it will determine the way we communicate this message of grace by what we bring into it. Are we bringing too much? Are we bringing too little? This leaven has crept into the dough of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and it led them to kill an innocent man. And that innocent man's death, Christ redeemed us through it, through that curse of the law, by having been a curse for us. Jesus says, don't let standards and customs defile the new thing I'm doing. Don't let it corrupt or be a blocker between people coming to know me. My grace is sufficient, and my spirit has power. I will provide for their every need. You don't need to bring anything to this thing but a contrite spirit. Let me work on their hearts. Let me wash them clean. Let me show them the truth and the life. I literally died for this. And even the smallest spore can defile the entire message. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, thank you. Thank you that you are that rich and pure dough, undefiled, spotless lamb. Lord, I pray that, that we eat from that bread of life every day. Not the old ways, not the things that we used to think fill our stomachs, but Lord, you and you alone, the eternal fountain. God, we praise you for that this morning and the, the opportunity to study that. God, go before us in the difficulties and in the trials. Let us not look elsewhere, but only to you. Lord, we love you for who you are in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. 